How you doing? We missed the snow. Isn't that amazing? Do they ever know what they're really talking about? They don't. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ. Visitors, we are glad you are here as well. We have a gift for you out at the Welcome Center when you leave. Uh, please feel free to pick that up. Uh, also, there are different things in the bulletin that you might be interested in, and you can read through those things. We are in the midst of a new series. This is the second week of it called The Life and Times of Jesus. And right now we're focusing on the early years, the years we don't know much about. But the thing that sometimes we, re we don't look at is the time in which Jesus came. Why did he come into the world at the time that he did? Have you ever thought about that? What was happening in the world? What uh, made an impact in uh, that, that culture, that time, that society? And uh, we'll, we'll be looking at a lot of that today. Um, so we will uh, uh, find out, hopefully, what Jesus did in the first two years of his life. Of course, Mary and Joseph probably did more of what, than what Jesus was doing. He just was growing as a baby. But where were they? What did they do? So we're going to be looking at that today. Let's, um, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, I thank you for all who are here. I, I invite your Holy Spirit to be among us. Lord God, come and be with each one of us. And may we receive exactly what you have for us today as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. stand as we worship. Come let us adore him. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to
Ah. Uh-huh. 
never fails and never gives up it never runs out on me your love heavenly father thank you that your love never runs out of us your love is wonderful Lord. and all god's people said amen may be seated. The kiddos could come on up. It is back to school time. How did it go this week? Thumbs up. Show me thumbs up, I hope. Thumbs down. Mm, I know, it's always hard to get back in the routine. You know what, it's even hard for moms and dads because they have to get their act together again too, right, moms and dads? Well, we have just come through Christmas, and we have learned all about how Jesus was born, and we celebrated all that, but here's the real question, now what? What do you do with Jesus as a baby? What do you do with Jesus as a grown man? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, In Sunday school, we're actually going to talk about when Jesus was 12 and he went to the temple. And his parents didn't know where he was. But you know what? Even at a young age, like Jesus and you, God is working already in your life. You may not realize that. But here we are. Did you know, uh, okay, who can tell me what does B.C. mean? When you're talking about time, what does B.C. mean? Parker. Before Christ. Does that, like, blow your mind? Like the whole world changed their clock, changed their time, and said, this time was before Christ, and this time was, who knows what that next thing is? A.D. or C.E.? What does A.D. mean? Yeah, man, you're one smart cookie. Anno Domini, I think it was Latin or Greek, that says the year of the Lord. So if the whole world has decided that now time is going to be split into two because of Christ, are you following Christ? Are you knowing what he's doing in our life? So I want to test your knowledge a little bit. How many of you can tell me, is a tomato a fruit or a vegetable? Are you sure? How are you going to know? Olivia? It is a fruit. Why? The seeds, they do make you healthy. Okay. How many of you can spell hippopotamus? Quick. One, two, three. Oh, you missed it. How many of you can tell me, what's the snowman's name in Frozen? Okay. That is great news for the world. Your knowledge is awesome. But what are you going to do with Jesus? How are you going to learn about Jesus? We have to know, don't we? You know what? Let's listen to what some kids said, who Jesus is to them. Oh, he looks kind, and, and he wears a robe. He has a beard and he has a mustache. He looks like dressed up in white. He's very bright. And he has long 
blackish brown hair. It is curly and he has blue eyes. He knows each one of us one by one and loves us all. He likes us. He is Heavenly Father's son. Jesus is our brother. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He is our savior. He sacrificed a lot. Like he was, he got nails in his arms and died for all of us. And he he toned for us. And he healed our alleys. He let me repent. He is um, someone we can all look to for if we need an example of how to be. He tells us to care about other people. He'd like warn people about stuff like and make sure they're all safe because he cares about each one of us. You know, when I pray, I feel comforted by him. It feels like he's giving me a hug. He heals people. He makes it so the blind can see and the people that can't walk, they can so he makes it so they can walk and that's pretty much all I know. He wants us to follow the commandments, always pray and read our scriptures. Be like him and help others. Show respect of how he made our world and obey his commandments. I want to help other people and I want to live with Heavenly Father again. And I love him very much. Right? Isn't that awesome? Look at all those things. Maybe not all of you know all those stories about Jesus. What did you say? Oh, she wants to see it again. <laughs> so tell me now, what is your knowledge? What was one thing you heard them say? You know what one thing I heard? He is our brother. What else? He got nails in his body. What else? He heals us. He healed my owies, didn't one of them say? What else, Hannah? Follow his commandments. Pray. Help others. One more, Parker. Make the blind see. That's what we're going to learn. How do we have Jesus in our own life? How do we help the people around us? How do we truly know him and love him? and carry on for him. So that's what, we're, that's what we're gonna talk about today. So put your hands together. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We know that Jesus is here in, in a mighty way for each and every one of us to care for us, love us, and guide us. Lord, we love you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go. part of our worship we are to receive an offering and we do that uh, thanking God for all that he has given to us so let's pray for this offering Lord God we thank you for all the things that you have blessed us with and we now return to you a tithe and our offerings and ask that you use them to further your work in this world 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, so good. 
Let's pray. Truly, Lord, all my life you have been faithful. Your goodness is what directs each one of our lives. Help us to follow that path. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for coming into this world. We thank you that no matter what happens to us, that we know that you are still on the throne and that we can still give you glory and praise and that you are a very present help in time of trouble. So we bring our lives to you, our, our, our journeys to this worship experience where we seek to honor you and to experience your Holy Spirit and to receive from you the power of direction and ability to move out in the path that you want us to take. And Lord, we partner with you by praying for those who need your healing touch or uh, a situation in life that needs your directing hand. Hear those names as we lift them up to you. Lord, hear all these spoken and unspoken prayers. Answer them in the wisest ways, Lord, and hear us now as we pray together the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> the life and times of Jesus. Let me just uh, uh, remind you of where we are at this point. Emperor Augustus <coughs> decreed a census to be taken. Everybody had to go to their own place. This caught Joseph and Mary in a situation that uh, Mary carrying God's son, she finds herself in almost nine months of pregnancy having to take a 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And when she gets to Bethlehem, they get to Bethlehem, she has a child. There's no room for them because of all the people that, that uh, descend upon that town of about 300 at this time in history. And so they found the only place for them and the only privacy for a, uh, to birth a baby was in a stable. And there she gave birth to Jesus. That night, an angel came to some shepherds that were out in the fields, and the shepherd told them of the birth of this Son of God and that uh, uh, he could be found in Bethlehem in a stable. And so they go and they, they uh, find the child and they celebrate. They, they uh, 
rejoice in what they what God had made known to them. And then Mary and Joseph have a time to wait. Uh, it's, it's about 40 days. Since they're down in the Jerusalem area, they would, they would remain down there until the purification ceremony could be done and the redemption of the firstborn child could be done in the temple. And we talked about that last week. Now sometime between the, the, the birth and that 40-day period of time, I believe that's when the wise men came. Now they came first to Jerusalem, which means it probably was after that first week, uh, and said, uh, asking the question, where is he who had been born king of the Jews? And Herod, who is very jealous of his throne, summoned them secretly and asked when the, when the star had, had arose. He also had learned from uh, those who study the uh, scriptures that the child would be born in Bethlehem, the, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he tells them to search Bethlehem, which is about five and a half miles away, and to come back and tell him when they find him so that he may go pay them, him homage as well. Nobody believed that because they knew Herod. They knew how dangerous he was when it co comes to his throne. He jealously regarded it. He murdered people in his family because he thought that they were a threat to, it, to the throne. And so he was obviously out to get the boy. So after the 40 days, Mary and Joseph would be preparing to go back to Nazareth where they live, taking that 90-mile trip. And that's where we pick up the story. It's right after the, the wise men leave. This is what happens. You can find it in Matthew 2, 13 through 18. When they had gone, talking about the, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for you, the, the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord God, speak to us through your holy word today. Let it sink into our hearts, become vivid and real and make an impact on our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the life and times of Jesus brings two questions to mind. First one is, why did Jesus choose this time in history to be born into the world? Why this time that we're talking about? Second question is, what significance does it have for us today? 
So what? What significance? What, what does it mean for us that he was born at, the, at that time? Well, reading through the Old Testament, it's kind of a, uh, an interesting read because it follows the empires of the known world that had impacted uh, the Near East and, and also uh, the, the, the area of, Jer- of, of Israel and Jerusalem itself. There were world powers of Egypt. We learn about the, the people of God being enslaved in Egypt after being saved from a famine and going down there. And then as Moses led them out of Egypt. And, and then there were the empires of Assyria and, and Babylon that actually were responsible for the exiles up into the Babylonian area. And then Persia, the one that uh, was overpowering Babylon and, and uh, in that Persian empire, that's when they started coming back to the Holy Land, being, being able to come back. And then in the New Testament, we learn about uh, the, the, the empire of, of uh, Greece and also Rome. And all these powers in the world, they come and they go. But there's an interesting thing from Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, they, they kept getting bigger, taking in more land. Until by the time that Alexander the Great came and in uh, around uh, 336, he was able to, on a 13-year ro- uh, year run, have all the known world under his power. But it wasn't just gaining ground. It wasn't just taking land. He had the idea of spreading the Hellenistic culture throughout the whole world. He had this this thought that the whole world should be under one city, one nation. And they all should be Hellenized. And so many uh, uh, great cities were established and, and a, a lot of the, the, the philosophical and the sociological and the political and the cultural and the arts, you name it, it was, it was spread throughout the known world. And then there was a series of leaders that emerged in the first century B.C. This is getting close to when Jesus was born. You've probably heard of Pompeii. How about Julius Caesar? Mark Antony and Cleopatra? And then Octavian. You may not know who Octavian is, but I bet you do if I tell you that Octavian was the creator of the Roman Empire. Rome had now grown to a point where it had, had, had taken over the whole known world and it was born in 27 BC as the, Roman, uh, as the Roman Empire and Octavian was the very first emperor. There were Caesars before him but this he was the very first emperor. You know him as Caesar Augustus. And that brings us to the story of when Mary and Joseph, when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, there was a census that was commanded by the the, the emperor, Caesar Augustus. And all the world had to go to their place of origin to be enrolled and to be taxed. And so that's what got Mary 
and Joseph on the road from Nazareth, the 90-mile trip, to Bethlehem. All this heaviness of world events comes together at a point under Caesar Augustus, who directs Mary and Joseph's life by sending them to Bethlehem, unknown, not, not even knowing who they were, just by the census that he won. Now, Augustus was a, a, a pretty, pretty wise leader, and, and he knew how to secure the borders and, of the empire, and he built Roman roads, conducting different cities, making it easy for travel. The result was a whole new era in the world, uh, an era of peace and stability. Now, he would inst- institute a lot of things, you know, in terms of the, um, the, the, the world and how to do it, the public works, and, and uh, um, there, was, there, was a, there was simply stability at that point in time. Under... Emperor Augustus, there were many who took care of different areas. They were like vassal kings. We've already talked about Herod the Great. Herod the Great was in charge of the area we know as the Holy Land. And he, uh, he was there in Jerusalem when the Magi came and said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Not making Herod's day because he knew knew there was no baby born in the palace at that time. And so he is troubled. And I love the way the text says this. He says, Herod was troubled. When he heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him because all of Jerusalem knew what Herod was capable of. So he sends the Magi off they discern in a dream not to go back to, to Herod, but go home a different way. And so he sends out this decree to kill all the boy babies from two years and down. Now, because it mentions two years down, there have been some scholars who think, well, that means that the, the wise men showed up two years after the birth of Jesus. I don't think that makes sense. First of all, Mary and Joseph would not have stayed in the Bethlehem area for two years. They would have been ready to go back after 40 days. Secondly, Herod was crazy, and he just was making sure. If he wanted to be specific, and if it was a two-year period of time, why kill the infants that were, were born after the two, two-year-olds were? So he was just making sure. How many infants uh, were killed in this? We don't know. The assumption of 300 people living in the Bethlehem and, and, and maybe a little bit more in the, in the vicinity. We're, we're talking maybe 7 to 25 children. Um, but I tell you, one is, one is too many. The guy was nuts. So it's at that time, before this took place, when, when Herod makes this decree, Joseph, in a dream, is, uh, is told by an angel, get up, take the child and his mother, and flee. Escape to Egypt, because Herod is out to get the boy. 
and stay in Egypt until I tell you it's safe. Imagine that night. Imagine Joseph waking up totally awake. Mary, get up. Get the baby. We need to go now. Mary said, you want to leave for Nazareth in the middle of the night? No. We're going to Egypt. We've got to leave. We got Herod is going to try to kill the boy. And so they take off that night. And they travel away from Bethlehem. And they travel down into this foreign country to get away from their enemies. They go to a country that used to be their enemies. Now, in that time, because of the philosophical and sociological and political and cultural and the arts, everything else that was, was implemented, even Egypt was pretty much Hellenized in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, they would have uh, known a lot about that. <clears throat> Actually, the, the uh, Israel leaders, they, they were Hellenized as well. They, they had accepted a lot of that. And so um, Mary and Joseph, you know, this, this country couple, uh, simple uh, 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 Naz- Nazarene couple, they, they, they find themselves in Egypt. And where would they have stayed? Well, they, they probably would have stayed among Jews. There would have been Jew- pockets of Jews down in, in uh, Egypt. And there they would, have, they would have stayed. What would they have done? Well, uh, we know that Joseph was a carpenter. And the Greek word that is used for, for carpenter, for Joseph, means he was also, uh, could have been a stonemason, worked in stone. So he would have spent that time down in Egypt doing his trade and taking care of his family. Joseph is, uh, uh, is un- un- underrated in our, in our stories, and, and uh, hopefully even next week you'll, you'll see how Joseph plays this key and important role in this whole story. So they, they stay there. Well, how long? Well, this is, you're going to get upset with me on this one. Because of the way time telling and timelines were put together, the BC AD time frame, uh, AD being uh, Anno Domini, the uh, year of our Lord, um, when that was put together was around, I think, 525 AD, uh, 500 years before or after Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, what we know historically from other time uh, keeping in, in other cultures, like the Roman culture, the, the, the Egyptian culture, is that the one who put it together missed the mark by about six years. Uh, you're going to hate me for this. But it appears that Jesus was actually born around 6 B.C. Don't shoot the messenger, Okay. About 6 B.C. And, and one of the ways we know that is because Herod died in 4 B.C. You know, the B.C. time goes down. So scholars are thinking that Jesus was born around 6 B.C. 
and that Herod died in 4 B.C. So sometime between those two years or during those two years, Mary by stuff in our culture, even something as crazy as a TV sitcom. So Joseph and Mary had a decision to make. Were they going to be impacted and influenced by the culture in which they lived? Were they going to be impacted by the philosophy and the society? Were they going to walk like an Egyptian? They did something, and every, apparently the other Jews did, that lived in that area did something that was fabulous. And that is they resisted the sociological and the religious impact of that area, and they stayed true to the one true God. They didn't start worshiping other gods. They didn't buy into the things that were going on. They sought to be true to what God was calling them to be. Now, I want you to think about this. Aside from Herod, this was a pretty good time for Jesus to be born. Because Caesar Augustus was responsible for all this stuff. He was responsible for Pax Romana. First time in, in, in many centuries, there was world peace and development. And the interesting thing is that because of the one government that people could go and share the news of Jesus Christ later, city to city, country to country, without any impact or ramifications because it was all under one heading. Now, with that becomes, you know, the, the, the philosophical, sociological, political, culture, all the stuff that adds up to art in the arts, in terms of uh, under the heading of one man, the emperor, who at this time is seen as divine. Actually, when, when they started using the term emperor and they saw uh, Augustus as, as that, that uh, figure, he was referred to as the son of God. Not only that, but he was also seen as one who would, would, uh, uh, was the great savior of the whole earth. And they called him that. And the reason they called him that is because he brought peace. And not only that, uh, because of his life, it was heralded as good news. And so they celebrated his birthday and they, they, you know, that, that he lives is really good news. So those four themes of him being the son of God him being the Savior. He was the one that brought peace. And it was considered good news. Those four things were said all the time about Emperor Augustus. You probably know where I'm going with this, don't you? Those four themes were proclaimed of Caesar Augustus are also spoken of in the Gospel of Luke in the Nativity story. I just want to remind you that in Luke 1, 35, angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have God's child. And she'll give birth to, to, to a child and you're supposed to call him Jesus. And this child is proclaimed the Son of God. 
And then a little further on in the story, you have the shepherds being, being uh, greeted by an angel who says, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you what? Good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel uh, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. There they are. Those four things are told about this baby who is born under the weight of all this history and powerful um, empires. It's this baby being born. And like the emperor, he's called son of God, a savior, prince of peace. And it is good news. With all that said, what does it mean? What does it mean for you today that Jesus came into the world when he did? What does it mean? Loved ones, it means that with all the Roman Empire and the first emperor and all the history behind that and all the culture and everything else that goes into that, this one city world that had been created, it was at that time in history that God does an amazing thing. Underneath all of that is this unknown child that comes into the world. And because he came into the world, the world was turned upside down. Because of that, it ought to make a difference in your life. It sure did Paul. Paul, who, uh, who started out persecuting the Christians and met the resurrected Christ, became one of the greatest Christians to impact the world ever. In 1 Corinthians, he writes these words. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now the world would talk about wisdom and eloquence, not the cross. He goes on, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligent, intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Okay, now listen to this. See if this makes sense to you. As we look at the whole scheme of of what's happened in the world and what was happening right then. He says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Well, there are many. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And that's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those, but to those who, whom God has called, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom, the human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, because of this little baby that was born into the world, back when the time was the most powerful unity of the world, known world at the time, he comes into the world and everything is turned upside down. And I don't know if that's news to you or not, but it's important for you to know that this thing called Christianity this thing about Jesus being in the world, it's counterculture. It was from the very beginning. And all throughout history, Christianity has been counterculture. So, loved ones, I got a question for you. You're not going to like it. I'll tell you right now, you're not going to like it, but I got to ask. I got to ask. If, I want you to think of Mary and Joseph, as well as yourself. If it would mean extreme hardship, if it would mean danger and financial difficulties, and if it would mean rejection from your family and friends and society, would you follow a God-given direction? Would you do it? Because that's exactly what we're called to do by the one who turned the world upside down. Lord God, we thank you that you came into this world. We thank you for the timing in which you did that. We thank you for you being present in, with your Holy Spirit as we seek to navigate through our lives. Thank you, Lord, for being the way and showing us the way and the truth and the life. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we praise the Lord. There's revival. 
and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's the rhythm of a gospel song. When you choose it, you can lose it. There ain't nothing, there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. I've got an old church choir singing in my soul. I've got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful. I've got a heart overflowing cause I've been restored. There ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. No, there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy when the valleys that I wander. That I can climb Oh, you're with me Never leave me Cause there ain't nothing There ain't nothing Gonna steal my joy I've got an old church choir Singing in my soul I've got a sweet salvation And it's beautiful I've got a heart overflowing Cause I've been restored There ain't nothing Gonna steal my joy No, there a prosperity gospel message today. <laughs> but you know, even with the world upside down because of Jesus Christ, you will never regret, regret following a God impulse. Stay on the path with God. No matter what happens, stay on the path of God and live in His power. Amen? So go and share your faith with someone who needs love, forgiveness, or hope. Point them toward God. Let him save them as he is saving you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the people of God shouted. Amen. Amen. I've got an old church choir singing in my soul. I've got a sweet salvation.